You may be seated. I want to welcome you here tonight and just say I, I agree with Josh and what he said that how can we call this Good Friday? I always call it either Black Friday or Not So Good Friday, Bad Friday. Because if you think about it, yesterday, if we were to celebrate the calendar and if we were looking at the calendar, is the night that he sat down with the disciples. And he had a discourse with them when he washed their feet and he did other things. And then one amongst them was going to betray him. But if you remember last week, we talked about during Palm Sunday that these people that were praising the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, actually thought he was coming and he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And he was going to come and sit on the throne. And then all of a sudden, today is the day that we look and say all their hopes, all their dreams, everything that they thought that was going to happen came to nothing. And so if we could just put our, uh, if we could put their shoes on for just a moment and imagine what it was like for them. We've all had our hopes and dreams dashed and, and things haven't went the way they were supposed to go. But the disciples... If you can imagine, that's the way they felt. They had no hope. If anything, at this time during the day, they had despair. They didn't know what to do. And so tonight, as we we look at this day, and we just kind of go away, and I was thinking about this, and and we we are putting ourselves in that place, and really this is a time that if we were to imagine it, a time of mourning. A time of somebody who we loved and, and thought, this is, he's it, he's now dead, and we don't know what to do. And I can repeat that over and over again. But I want to read something to you tonight, and it's out of Isaiah 53, and I want you just to listen to it. And I'm not going to talk a lot tonight, I just want us to think about what happened And it says this, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. He was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed And he was afflicted. 
yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with the wicked men and yet was with the rich man in his death because he had done no violence. Nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great. And he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So as we think about the disciples, we look at this on the other side. To where maybe we can call it Good Friday because we know the end results. But they didn't. So tonight or today, however you want to look at it, is full of sorrow. And he was a man of sorrows. But he did it because the joy that was set before him He endured the cross and the shame. So tonight as Pastor Kathy comes and she shares with us and we do communion together, I want you to know that there was a great price that was paid for you and I. Turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. And when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And having taken a cup, when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. And having taken some bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup which is poured out for you. It is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. That is the word of the Lord this evening. If you've ever attended a Seder or a Passover meal, you know that that meal is incredibly rich 
with symbolisms that represent Christ. And we see them throughout the Passover meal. And it would take more time than we have tonight to discuss all of those symbolisms. But what I do want to share with you this evening is to focus on the fact that this was the last supper that Jesus was going to eat with his disciples. And that Passover meal contained many symbolisms, but what we're going to look at this evening is the cups. There were four cups in the Passover meal. There was the cup of sanctification, the cup of judgment, the cup of redemption, and then the cup of praise. And they were noted in that order throughout the meal. The passage we just read actually speaks of only two cups. And the first cup that Jesus shares is, in fact, the cup of sanctification. And it symbolized the setting apart of the Jews as God's chosen people. So when we think of the Passover, we think about their remembrance of their deliverance from Egypt, and we certainly understand that. But after he took that cup of sanctification, of being set apart, he says these words, I will never drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. And in another version, it says, I will never drink until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I wonder how many of us realize that he was making reference to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He was setting them up for the promise to come that there was going to be yet another meal There was going to be a lamb at that meal, and there was going to be a cup of praise at that meal. But he says, I will not drink it again until the marriage feast of the lamb, until everything that I have done and everything that needs to be done is brought to culmination. So that's the first cup that we read about in uh, this particular account. What's really interesting to me is that in none of the in none of the four Gospels is there an account of the second cup, which is the cup of judgment, nor is there an account of the fourth cup, the cup of praise. What we do read and what we have just read is that there is an account of the cup of redemption. We know that it's the third cup because the third cup was taken after the meal was over, but before the Passover meal itself was completed. And so we read that he took that third cup and he lifted it and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. What a remarkable thing he was saying, and I doubt if they really understood it. And we, as Jeremy has said, we have the benefit of looking back and recognizing that he was talking about the fact that no one will come into this new covenant unless they come through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that he would shed on the cross at Calvary the following day. So we know that the Passover celebrates the covenant made with the Jews, but we celebrate a new kind of Passover called the communion, a celebration of what Jesus has done and a remembrance of what he has done and the fulfillment of the Passover promises in the framework of the meal that he took with his beloveds. We also know that the fullness of that cup of the new covenant would include you and me. 
Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 says, and he's speaking to us now, to Gentiles. Remember, you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and being without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we understand that. We understand that the blood of Christ is the entry point for us to come into the new covenant. But I think you know me well enough to know that I'm curious about the things that aren't said. I want to know about that second cup. Why wasn't there anything recorded about that second cup? And I couldn't find anything recorded about the second cup. The cup of judgment. Nothing is recorded. But I do have a story that might help us make a connection. It is recounted that Smith Wigglesworth was in a small hamlet in England, and he was conducting revival meetings. It was a coal mining hamlet. It was a very poor hamlet. And he was on his way to the meeting place to go there early to pray. It was raining. And a woman was out on her porch beating the rugs. And she saw him, and she recognized him, and she said, Brother, come in and have a cup of tea to warm your bones. And he declined her. He said, I'd like to get to the meeting place. And he started to move away, and she made herself even more known by yelling at him across the street, saying, No, no, brother, you must come. You must come in and warm yourself and have a cup of tea to warm your bones. And she was making such a ruckus that he decided to cater to her whim, and he crossed over the street and into her very small and very humble home. And she took his coat, and she placed it over the potbelly stove in the kitchen, which served not only as the cooking stove, but as the place where all warmth came from. And on the sidebar of this stove, she already had a pot of tea made. So he sat down, and he watched her as she reached into the cupboard for a cup. And she set it down in front of him, reached over for the pot of tea, and poured him what clearly was nothing more than uh, colored water. There was very little she had, and I imagine that the tea leaves that she put in there were few. And he was about to lift it to his lips when he realized that that cup, all along its rim, was chipped. And the handle had actually been broken away. And he thought to himself as he lifted the cup, how will I ever drink from this cup without being cut and without bleeding? And so he set it down. And she noted that he did not drink from the cup. And so she said, Brother, you must drink and warm your bones. You have a long night of revival meetings ahead of you. And so he picked up the cup again and noticed there were a few tea leaves at the top or floating at the top. He pushed them aside and he looked into the cup and it was filthy. 
It was encrusted with old food. It was stained. There was a crack running all the way down to the bottom of the cup. And he actually felt revulsed at the thought that he was going to have to drink this. And so he took a deep breath and brought it to his lips. And in his heart, he was saying, God, I cannot drink from this cup. And the Lord spoke to him and said, But my son drank from a cup that was much worse. It is reported that he was so convicted by what the Lord had spoken to his heart that he went to the meeting place that night and he lay prostrate on the floor and asked the Lord to teach him about the judgment of God. And it's also reported that those were some of his finest revival meetings with many souls being saved who were taught about the cup of judgment that Jesus drank on our behalf. So now, as Paul Harvey would say, you know the rest of the story. But we already knew the rest of the story, and so I would like to conclude with these few thoughts. This evening, we have the privilege of taking communion and of remembering the broken body of our Lord Jesus. And you know, in the Old Testament, and throughout actually the Passover meal, there's one phrase that is often spoken, and it's the same phrase all the time, and it is this. By God's, let me make sure I read it properly. The phrase is, with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment, I will break the yoke of slavery. And this was spoken throughout the Passover meal. Jesus stretched out two arms, and he broke the yoke of slavery for you and for me. And so we remember that this evening as we take the bread, that he was broken for us. We're also reminded in Luke and in John and in several places in Romans that the wrath of God is very real and that the unredeemed will suffer the wrath of God, but those of us who are found in Christ Jesus are found to be able to stand before God because the wrath of God has been satisfied. We sang it this evening. Jesus drank the cup of judgment. And he said, it is finished. The debt has been paid. The cup has been drunk. And the Father's wrath has been satisfied. I have paid the debt. And when he drank that cup of judgment, he drank it so that you and I could drink the cup of redemption and the cup of praise. So this evening, we will take communion together. You might be wondering about this mug sitting on the table. I've brought a mug with me. I was not willing to chip the rims of it. But I'd like to leave it here so that when you come up for communion, you can look at it and remember 
that the cup of judgment that contained your sin and mine was drunk by our Savior so that you and I could drink the cup of the new covenant together. So, Father, as we examine ourselves, as Paul has admonished us to do, may we come to this place of recognizing that there were four cups, and you drank all four so that we could drink of the cup of the new covenant. And we will drink of the cup of praise on Sunday morning. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to remember the not-so-good Friday that is actually a phenomenal Friday. Because of it, we stand in your presence, covered by the shed blood of Jesus, clothed in the robe of righteousness, and found in you as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Feel free that when you are ready to come and partake.
that, we'll conclude our services for tonight. Again, I just want to say thank you for taking the time out to be as one body tonight. As we take the cup and the bread, it really shows who we are as one body. But then also, as we're going into this holy weekend, just remember, take time tonight, tomorrow, just kind of reflect on what Christ has done for you and for the world. And then on Sunday morning, just be ready to celebrate because the resurrection means everything. So be blessed.